Monday, July 3rd. Welcome to Mark Fuller. I'm Chris Hill. Just me in the studio. I'm back. Back from my trip. Had a great vacation with my family. I got a couple of business lessons from London and Ireland that I'm going to share. Uh, the reason I'm alone here in the studio is because uh, it's a little bit of a ghost town around Fool HQ today. The market closes early on Monday. It's one of only two days this year that the market will close early. The other is Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, so we can all get our shopping in, I suppose. Uh, so the market closing at one o'clock. Independence Day is tomorrow. So we're at the halfway point of 2017 right now. S and P 500, Dow Jones Industrial Average up around nine percent for the year. Nasdaq up around fourteen percent for the year. The Dow hitting an all-time high today. I'm sure that's you know going to last for I don't know maybe a couple more weeks before it hits another all-time high. So I get back I get back late Saturday night and uh, Sunday I'm starting to recover from the jet lag and looking at Twitter and reading some news, catching up on some news, that sort of thing, and I come across this article. And it's an interview with Ron Paul, former congressman, former presidential candidate. And the headline, I just had to mention this, because the headline is Ron Paul, and then, you know, the colon, not a total shock if stocks plummet 25% and gold soars 50% by October. Let me say that again. Ron Paul says it's not going to be a total shock if stocks drop 25% by October and simultaneously gold soars 50% by October. Now, look, there's a certain amount of financial media that goes under the heading of the prediction business. I get that. That I mean, we're, we're probably... Part of that, because when on Market Foolery, on on any of our podcasts where we're talking about stocks, at some point we're talking about the future, and analysts are starting to share their analysis of. Did I just say analysts are sharing their analysis? God, the jet lag. I'm telling you, it's uh, clearly I haven't recovered. Uh, but analysts start to share their thoughts on where they think the future of a business is going. I get that, but. Uh, Somewhere deep in this article, maybe paragraph 10 or so, comes this delightful nugget referring to Ron Paul, who just made this hyperbolic prediction about what's going to happen in the next three months. And I'm quoting directly from the article. He made a similar prediction almost exactly a year ago on June 28, 2016. Since then, the S&P 500 has ripped by 21%, and the Dow is up 24%, breaking several records along the way. The tech-heavy Nasdaq bounced into record territory over that time period and soared 34%. So, how'd that last prediction work out for Dr. Ron Paul? Not so great. And this is something that just Tim Hansen has talked about this. Our old friend Morgan Housel has talked about this. Just the people who are in the uber-bearish prediction business. And as the market continues to rise, these calls are only going to increase. These type of drumbeats are only going to get louder. And 
uh, clearly I'm poking a little fun at this one in particular, but the the larger takeaway for investors like us is that these are the times when it becomes all the more important to own businesses and to not get caught up in the headline stuff, to own businesses, to focus on management, to focus on companies that we believe have growth opportunities, all the things that we talk about here on Market Foolery and all of the Motley Fool's podcasts and online at fool.com. And if you're a member of any of our services, uh, you know that's what we do there as well. So I was away with my family. We had a trip. We were in London for a few days. We were in Ireland for about a week. And I have uh, three business takeaways. Uh, One is that I'm even more bullish on coffee than I was before. Now, I'm not saying I'm bullish, more bullish on Starbucks or Dunkin' Brands, but just coffee in general. When we were over uh, in London and in Ireland, just seeing all of the coffee. By the way, first full day in London, we did one of those bus tours around the city, which are great to do. One of those things where you, you can hop on and off the bus. You get a chance to see the city. It's a double-decker bus. And they give you earbuds so that you can just plug in and listen to the uh, the history of the city as it, it it's being narrated when you're driving around. It's a it's a really wonderful way to to get a sense of any particular city, and in this case, it was London. It was it was wonderful to do. One little uh, nugget that I learned on that: the Duke of Wellington, who uh, led the British forces uh, forces uh, in the Battle of Waterloo against Napoleon. And that, that didn't work out so well for Napoleon. So the Duke of Wellington wins that battle. I think he might have one of the all-time, if not the greatest, address in history. And his address, was, if you think about the famous addresses here in the States, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue in London, 10 Downing Street. Usually these are addresses of political leaders. But uh, the Duke of Wellington, his address, one London that's it. One London. His home was essentially at the, the, there was one entrance into the city of London, and that was his address, which I don't, I don't know what type of temperament the Duke of Wellington had. I don't know if he was someone given to bragging or anything like that, but I, you could see where that would be pretty easy. Like, oh, if you ever get to London, look me up. Whoa, uh, where? One. I'm at, I'm at number one. That's where I am. One London. But anyway, so we're we're on the bus, we're going around London, and one of the things that struck me was, we saw a fair amount of the city, and you're going a lot of along a lot of main streets and a lot of well-known brand companies, brands we recognize. Uh, went by one of the Apple stores. Uh, very few Starbucks. I know that there are a bunch of Starbucks in London and the UK, but they appear to be well hidden. I saw a lot of uh, Costa. Which is a coffee brand that is owned by a publicly traded company called Whitbread. Whitbread essentially has two main parts of their business. They're in hotel and restaurants, and then they have Costa Coffee. And then Cafe Nero, which is a privately held company, it's a subsidiary of a company called Rome Bidco. And Costa Coffee, there are more than twice as many Costas as there are Starbucks in. in the UK, and Cafe Nero is almost as many Starbucks. But 
just in general, I think, as we talk about where do you want to have exposure in your portfolio, I do think that somewhere you want to have some exposure to coffee, even if it's just a, a, a tiny little bit. So I'm bullish on coffee, or I should say more bullish on coffee. I'm more bullish on hospitality. I know we talk a lot about the rise in the machines and AI and automation and machine learning and all of those things matter. All of those things will continue to, I think, matter even more for us as investors. But I, I also come away from a trip where the hospitality at individual restaurants and where we stayed was so great. And I, it's, it's a little tougher to quantify. There are always surveys that are out there about we had the best customer service, that sort of thing. And, and some of those can be gamed. But I, I do think that to the extent that you are looking at consumer-facing businesses, the ones that have service at the forefront, the ones who approach what they do with hospitality, and I'm not just talking about the hospitality industry per se, but companies that really go the extra mile in their the way they treat their customers, I think those that do that, they're the ones who are going to win. Uh, last business takeaway, and this is, um, I guess, not something you can necessarily invest in, or in this case, short, but uh, I, I'm just uh, bearish on terrorism. There were so many great things on our trip. And, and by the way, thank you to everyone who emailed in suggestions about uh, things to do in London and Dublin and elsewhere in Ireland. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, the, the, we had a wonderful time, but there, there just wasn't time to do all the things, uh, all the suggestions that we got. Uh, but there were so many great highlights, and there, were, there, was, there was no single one that really stood out for me. But, but here's one of the many great things that I got to do with my family on this trip. And it was the morning that we spent at London's Borough Market. Borough Market, as you may have heard, was in the news last month for the terrorist attack that left at least seven innocent victims dead and dozens more injured. And that was a month ago. That was early June. And in the aftermath of that, there were a couple of people in my life uh, who knew that I was going on this trip with my family and, and sort of pulled me aside and said, how are, you, you know, how are you feeling about the trip to London in the wake of the terrorist attack? Are you worried about your children being in London? And these are people close to me and people who care about me, so I, I appreciate legitimate, heartfelt questions like that. But the answer for me was always, no, I'm not worried. We went. We could not have enjoyed Borough Market more. It was busy. Uh, one of my cousins has been spending a year in London working, and uh, he works near there and said that the, the first day that the market was open to the public after this event, it was jam-packed, and it was jam-packed the day that we went there, and so many great vendors, and the food. Oh, my God, the food. I stupidly went there with a full stomach. And if I had been smart, I would have done a little bit more research and uh, and gone there on an empty stomach and just eaten my way through Borough Market. But uh, and look, I'm not saying that these incidents are never going to happen again. Unfortunately, of course they will. But uh, terrorism is not going to win in the end. We are stronger. We have more resolve. 
All you have to do is go to a place like Borough Market just days after an incident like that, and you see it on display. And you can you don't even have to be in London to go to Borough Market. You can just read stories about the vendors at the market who, in a sense, are in competition with one another, uh, but uh, their their bond is strengthened after an incident like that. So um, that's why terrorism is a lost cause. On that note, tomorrow is Independence Day here in the United States of America. The market is closed. We will be off, but we will be back on Wednesday. Uh, I said it was a ghost town around Fool HQ, but I, I do have to give big thanks to... Uh, uh, and we're closing early because we follow the market schedule, so we're closing early today. And I think that's largely why the office is... Um, not empty, but uh, there's a lot of open space in the office today. But um, big props, extra props to my man behind the glass, Dan Boyd, for coming in today. I really appreciate it. So July 4th tomorrow, there will be fireworks. There will be barbecuing. Personally, I'm planning on continuing to catch up on my sleep so that I'll be more coherent on Wednesday. Uh, I'm also going to take a page out of Nick Cage's playbook, and I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Wednesday. Wednesday.